to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Hear the word of God. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My growth into Christ-likeness has happened much more slowly, and can we say that it's just happened really subtly, (laughs) in ways that are extremely hard to detect? Uh, it's, It's happened subtly, and more subtly than I thought it would when I first started following Jesus years and years ago. Um, Christ is risen from the dead, and I still have uh, all kinds of like unhealthy habits and patterns of relating to God and relating to other people that seem to be at times really intransigent. Um, like, like change in my life has just been slow, and it often feels imperceptible. And because of that, it has been at times really easy for me to kind of just settle and to stagnate and to think that the way I am now is the way I'll always be. And, and, and then to become cynical about the possibility of real transformation happening in my life at all. And I wonder where you are with this. Because my guess is that like me, like your growth into the likeness of Christ hasn't uh, been a straight line moving rapidly up into the right onward and upward, from strength to strength. Like some of you, I know, are living with deep disappointments and real frustrations about areas of your life where you like, have desperately longed to see change and you just haven't. And at the same time, I bet, you haven't entirely given up hope for change. You know that you were made for something more. And, and family, that instinct is right that hope for real transformation, real growth, that resonates so deeply with the good news about Jesus. Because, because yes, uh, the New Testament is, is so realistic on one hand about like, the persistence of sin, right? Like it has its eyes wide open to the fact that uh, for now, we go on living with sin out there and also with sin in here. But at the same time, we're addressed by the message that in Christ, we are new creations. And that uh, Jesus is committed to making us new. And, and so we're confronted with the truth that God's plan for us is nothing less than, than formation into the likeness of Jesus himself. And, and so um, the gospel comes as this, this news that we aren't doomed to be the same forever. Uh, that real change, real transformation is possible. And so if this morning you're feeling cynical and sluggish and apathetic, maybe even hopeless about your life with God, you might let what Paul says here kind of hit you in the face like a bucket of cold water. The water part, the cold water part. Let the cold water hit you in the face in a way that is refreshing and that wakes you up from your stupor. Don't let the bucket hit you in a way that like does damage to your body. Uh, The point is, wake up. Let this passage wake you up. 
Because Paul wants us to know that godliness, like real godliness, is possible. It's possible. Uh, it really is possible to become more godly than we are today, to experience real life-giving transformation. So, this morning, uh, we're actually beginning a new sermon series on spiritual formation, and for uh, the next couple of weeks, at least, we're doing this in partnership with two other congregations that we partner with quite a bit, who are also in ECO, um, St. Giles and Community West, and so the next couple of weeks, you'll get to hear from their pastors, Josh Madrinsky and Nelson Old. Uh, and in these weeks to come, we'll be looking at different practices, sometimes called spiritual disciplines, that, that can help form us into the likeness of Jesus. Today, what I want to do, instead of looking at a particular practice, is just kind of try to frame the whole series and set it up with these few verses from 1 Timothy. And uh, I feel like I was stretching this way. I, wa I really wanted to have like alliteration in these points. And, and, and I found that I was kind of forcing the sermon into the points. And so if these are helpful for you, you can hang on to them. If they aren't, if you just kind of, if it makes you want to just put your face in your poems, you can just forget it. You can forget it. But um, we're going to talk about the path to godliness and then the point of godliness. And then we're going to talk about a paradox. Although I don't even know if it is a paradox. But I just called it a paradox to stay with the peas. A paradox <laughs> that comes into our growth in godliness. I'm sorry. Sometimes you get sermons like this. <laughs> the path first. What's the path to godliness? Like, how does transformation happen? How do we get there? What's the path? Um, I need a brave volunteer. Like, a really brave volunteer. Like, someone who doesn't mind coming up here and feeling awkward. Thank you. 
Stephen can't play the flute. Um, Elijah's here. Elijah, will you come forward? And sorry, I didn't mean to slaughter on you. Stephen and Elijah? Practice. That's it, right? It's the only difference. Practice. Um, like the first time Elijah picked up a flute, he was not able to do that. Uh, but now he can, and the only reason he can is because he's trained, right? He's practiced. Uh, he has he's spent a significant amount of time um, learning how to play the flute, and, and some of that I'm sure has involved head knowledge, like probably especially at first you have to learn you know, the fingerings, um, you have to learn, I don't know, how to hold the thing. I don't play the flute clearly. Uh, but a lot of it has just been um, bodily training, right? Getting your embouchure right, getting your, like, learning the position of the fingerings. And, um, and so we know this, that, like, raise your hand if you play a musical instrument. Yeah, lots of you. And you know that in order to play proficiently, and to play well, you have to practice. You have to train for that. And, and what's true for musicians is also true for athletes. You know this. Like, have any of you ever run a marathon? No. Eureka, you've run a marathon. Anyone else? Chris, back there, I see it. Um, are any of you currently training for a marathon? Okay, then I feel super confident with this statement that right now, none of us is able to run a marathon. Uh, like, we could try really hard to run a marathon, but we would not be able to go the distance. Like, we would, all, we would go varying distances, but none of us would go 26 point whatever miles. Um, we, could, we could go home and we could read articles about running marathons. We could just open ourselves to the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit and say, ah, oh, please enable me to run a marathon. And I guess, in theory, that's possible, but it's unlikely. <coughs> that uh, God's going to impart that ability to us in some kind of miraculous, instantaneous way. It wouldn't be very fair for all the people who have like, devoted their lives to training for marathons. <laughs> um, so if, if we wanted to run a marathon, what would we have to do? Train. Train. Yeah. And, and what that means is that we would have to significantly rearrange our lives, right? Like we'd have to start setting aside time daily and weekly to devote to improving at our running. Um, we'd have to get serious about training, and then slowly but surely, we'd get into the kind of condition that we need to be in to run a marathon. So, so trying is not enough. Um, getting the right information into our heads isn't enough. Uh, praying all by itself is not enough. We would need to train. And the point 
I'm kind of beating you over the head with it now, but the point is obvious. Um, in our passage, Paul urges us to embrace a life of training, uh, a life of practice for um, music, if you want, for, for athletics, if you want. That's of some value. But the real training Paul wants us to take up as a church is this training in godliness, spiritual training. He says, train yourself for godliness for, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, so the verb that's used there in the Greek is genatse, and you can hear it, that it has the same root um, as the word that we get, like gymnasium. You go to the gym, same word. Uh, if you want to be fit physically, you need to exercise. And Paul's just saying, uh, if you want to be fit spiritually, you've got to practice. You've got to train for this. And so there's an invitation here, family, for us to arrange our lives for this kind of spiritual growth. But you see, that really does require something of us, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> a lot of us love the idea of being able to run a marathon, but how many of us want to actually like get out and do it? Or, or like, I say, I want to be able to drum like up here. But when it comes down to it, I don't want to spend like eight hours a day practicing drumming. Um, I actually, uh, I had an interesting experience on my sabbatical where I took a few drum lessons with this really good local jazz drummer. And the truth is I wanted to go and I wanted him to give me some kind of secret <laughs> that would just like make me instantly a greater drummer. And, but, we, but we talked, and we talked about my history with drumming, and he listened to me play a little bit, and, um, and he saw that I could read music, and, so, and he said, you know, Kevin, I mean, basically, you kind of know what you need to know now if you want to improve. You just need to go home and practice. You've got to practice if you want to improve. Um, if you think about it, your life is already arranged for some kind of transformation. How you spend today is going to influence the kind of person you are tomorrow. Like we're always, we're always becoming someone. Uh, we're always being formed. And another way to think about this is to just remember that discipleship is inevitable, right? Like it's not a question of whether we're disciples or not. It's a question of whose disciples we are. Like into whose likeness are we being formed? What is shaping us? Um, Paul is urging us to get serious about this training for godliness. You remember John Stott once said something like, um, godliness isn't a condition into which we drift. It's not a condition into which we drift. Uh, it's, it's not something that just happens. Like you can't, you can't wish yourself into spiritual fitness any more than you can wish yourself into physical fitness. Um, you wouldn't even try to do that, would you? Like you, you wouldn't go home and think, I just really wish I could bench press like 200 pounds and then just, just really wish on that real hard. You wouldn't. You would know that in order to bench press 200 pounds, you've got to start with lighter weights and then slowly build up to that. Um, and that translates um, fairly directly into our spiritual lives. Like, you can't just wish for a better prayer life. You have to actually practice praying. 
setting aside time daily to do it. You can't just wish that you are a more patient person. You have to actually put yourselves into situations where your patience is tested and, and where you intentionally practice patience, practice being patient in those situations. And so if you want to be godly, Paul is saying, you've got to train for godliness. I wonder if you want it. Or is it, kind of, is it the kind of thing where you think, ah, it'd be nice. But you have, you have no interest in actually rearranging your life for the formation to actually happen. That's a question for you. It's a question for me. Do we want godliness? So in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at different practices that we can embrace that will um, help train us in godliness. That's the path. We're sticking with these Ps. That's the path. Training. That's it. Training. Um, that's the path to godliness our passage is holding up for us. Now, let's ask the second question. What does this look like? And, and here's the P. What's the point? So bad. What's the point of all this? What's the point of the training? Now, it's not a trick question. Um, we're already, we've already been talking about the answer. The point is godliness. But let's get more specific than that. Because, um, because godliness for us is um, identical with Christ-likeness. Jesus fully reveals who God is. Um, God, this is great news, God looks exactly like Jesus. And, and so, more specifically, the goal is Christ-likeness, but then we, we've got to ask, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be like Jesus? What does it mean to look Christ-like? Um, does it mean just like embracing the lifestyle of a first-century Jewish man? That'd be weird. No, it doesn't mean that. I don't think so. Um, when we talk about growth into the likeness of Christ, what, what is it that we're talking about? What is the goal of spiritual training? What's the fruit we're after when we practice this spiritual discipline or that one? Paul gives us a hint in our passage, I think, when he says that <clears throat> training in godliness is of value not only for this life, but also for the life to come. Uh, he's saying there's something about true godliness about true Christ-likeness, that we will carry with us into eternity. That's a hint. Um, what that makes me think of is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You remember that passage? Um, what is it there that Paul says will carry into eternity, will never end? Love. Love. Yeah, love. Um, that's what Paul shows us here, is that love is the one thing that will last. And, and so he says this, he says, remember, prophecy, this is from 1 Corinthians 13, prophecy will pass away, the spiritual gift of knowledge will pass away, tongues, those will cease, he's talking about the spiritual gift of tongues, but love, he says, never ends, never ends. He goes on and he says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then, he's talking about the age to come, then we shall see face to face. He says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so Paul there is talking about not knowing God. He's talking about this knowledge of God, but it's much more than textbook knowledge. It's much more than having like the right ideas about God in your head. Uh, he's talking about relational knowledge, like face-to-face -face knowledge. And so when Paul says that, he's, that um, he is fully known by God now, it's another way of saying that like, not only does God know everything about him, but God fully loves him now. 
Uh, he's fully invested in this intimate relationship of love with Paul right now. And Paul is saying that one day um, that, will be, that will be true um, the other way around. Like, we will fully know and fully love God. Um, there, there will come a day, family, when love, um, when, when we will love God and when we will love others uh, fully as we were meant to. Like, we, we won't have to confess our sins saying we failed to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because we will do it. And it will be good. Um, we'll love God even as we have been fully loved. The Apostle John puts it like this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so... That's a great promise that the New Testament holds up for us, that we will be like Jesus, really be like him, that, that a day is coming when our love will be complete, when we'll, when we'll be able to love others as ourselves, and we'll be able to love God with all of who we are. And in the meantime, Paul says, train for it. He says, you have this, this picture of who you will be. That's on the way. And so now, here, train for it. Don't stagnate. Don't be apathetic about this. Don't be cynical about this, like you can never change. Like, the promise of the gospel is that you will change. And now you have the gift of being able to practice it, to train for it. He says, Paul says, let everything you do be done in love, because this is the one thing that's going to last. This is the one thing that you will carry with you into eternity. John Warburg puts it like this. He says, The true indicator of spiritual well-being is growth in the ability to love God and to love people. And if we can do this without the practices, uh, excuse me, if we can do this without the practice of any particular spiritual discipline, then we should, by all means, skip the discipline. We are free from having to impress God or anyone else with our spiritual commitment. See, that's right. Uh, the spiritual disciplines aren't about getting really good at the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are useful to the extent that they form us in love, that they help us be better lovers of God and of others. And, and that will be so important for us to remember as we go through this series and as we look at different ways that um, we can spiritually train with different practices and disciplines. The point is not to just get like super good at, um, well, like... Uh, what are they going to be talking about? I think next week you might hear about scripture meditation. It's a good discipline to, to meditate on scripture. But the point isn't to get super good at, at scripture meditation. The point is to come like face to face with the lover of your soul and to be formed into his likeness in love. The point is love. And so if any of you are already perfect lovers of God and people, you're, you're welcome to sit the next several weeks out. Um, but if you feel like you have room to grow in this area, like come to the love school. That's what this is. Come to the love school. Um, because we really need each other for this. Uh, we, we form, like, I, I figure these are all synonyms, godliness, Christ-likeness, holiness, love. I think that those are, those are different ways of talking about the same reality. And we, we only grow into these things together. 
we, we really need each other to, um, to practice these disciplines well and to grow in love. Um, it's hard to love in the abstract. Like, you, you need a flesh and blood human being there who you can practice loving. So uh, when we say godliness is the goal and the way there is training, it's just another way of saying that love is the point and the way there is practice. Um, and, and we need each other for this. And so, um, that's what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. Does that excite you? Do you get excited about spiritual disciplines? I don't know. Or does it just feel like tiring? Does it feel like training for a marathon? I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to excite you. There, there is, there's opportunity for you to be transformed into the image of Christ, and that's what you were made for. That's what you were made for. Um, so, one last thing. Uh, a paradox, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know if it's a paradox. True paradoxes are probably rare. This might be a paradox. We're going to be spending um, all this time talking about disciplines, practices, training for spiritual fitness. But um, as we approach this table, you might remember that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the spiritually fit. You remember that? What does he say? says, blessed are the spiritually poor. And, and so often I think what our hearts embrace is this notion that if, if we really want God's blessing, like a rich life with God in which we are godly, in which we've been formed into um, Christ-likeness, um, a, a life with God in which we're really welcomed and received and known and loved, well then we better have something to show for it. We better have something to bring to the table. And it's really easy to bring the idea of spiritual training into that kind of framework where it becomes all about what we can achieve and what we can accomplish. And you've probably experienced that um, danger as you've pursued the spiritual disciplines that, that it can so easily become about uh, all about you, <laughs> about you getting better at some discipline that you've set out to practice. And so here's the paradox, if it is a paradox, <laughs> that the more spiritually fit you become as a follower of Jesus, the more you actually recognize your spiritual poverty, and the more you realize how needy you are for the grace of another. And, and so it's like, the more spiritually fit we become, the more, um, the more, the lower we go. <laughs> The more aware of our weakness we are, the more aware of how um, like radically dependent we are on someone else. And so in that way, I think that maybe Paul's metaphor breaks down a little bit, because if you ever go to a gym, and I don't recommend this, uh, <laughs> what, you see, what you see is like a lot of muscles and a lot of people who are really self-sufficient and strong and obsessed with looking at themselves in mirrors that line the walls. <laughs> And spiritual training moves us in a very different direction where we become actually more dependent on other people and more dependent on the grace of God and, um, and really less concerned with how we look. We won't always be checking our spiritual selves out in the spiritual mirrors, whatever that means. Um, 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't recommend the gym, Sarah. Um, think about this family. What is it that you can bring to this table? What what can you bring to this table if you really are um, spiritually poor? Like like what? What can we bring here if really our spiritual accounts are empty? It's like all you can bring is yourself, right? You just bring yourself. And you don't bring the self that you wish you were, like the really spiritually buff self, rippling muscles. Uh, you, don't, you don't bring the self that you imagine God wishes you were. All of us probably imagine God wishing we were someone other than who we are. And that's, you can't bring that self because it's an imaginary self. The self you bring is the real you. You bring yourself just as you are, uh, with all of your brokenness and with all of your sin, with your unfaithfulness, with your weakness, with all your mixed motives and frail faith and wavering love. Because that's the self who is real. And it's the only self that God is interested in relating to. You bring that self here and you experience the gracious welcome of Jesus Christ. And you experience him feeding you and nourishing you um, with himself. And in the end, don't you think that's what we really want and need? Like not to in some arbitrary way, just perfect a set of spiritual practices, but to know and to live on the basis of the reality that we really are welcomed. And we really are known, and we really are loved. Um, It's true that out there in the world, the way you get blessed almost always depends on you accomplishing something or providing something. Like, you have to have something to bring to the table, but family, not this table. Not this table. Um, Here, blessing depends only on what Jesus Christ brings to the table. And what he brings is all of it. Like He brings his life lived for you and his death died for you. And it's all grace. It's undeserved. It's unearned. It's a gift. Uh, If you've ever trained hard physically for something, you know that um, it's all about what you put into your body. Like, you could, you could embrace, like, the best marathon training program in the world, but if all you're eating is ice cream, you're not going to run a marathon. Um, you, have to, you have to eat the right stuff, and this is cheesy, <laughs> but here it is. Like, here it is. This, this, this is the food, really... Um, this is the food that nourishes us for the work of training that's before us. Nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. And so you take him in and you let him make you strong, which might look a lot like weakness and humility and going low in love for others. So let's pray and then let's come to the table.